This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best coaches in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Now, this show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some free ebooks and drills and exercises that'll help you become more charismatic and confident by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, listen to The Art of Charm Toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got the fundamentals of dating and attraction such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, including some episodes on breakups and relationship management. That's where all the basics are, so get a handle on that first. We've got boot camps running every single month here in Hollywood, California. Details on those at theartofcharm.com. Looking forward to meeting all you guys here at AOC. Fitness expert Ted Rice has trained celebrities like Richard Branson, Robert Downey Jr., a bunch of CEOs from Fortune 500 companies and men and women who just want to look better. Of course, he's a buddy of mine and he's also accomplished some competitive martial arts stuff, holding down the rank of brown belt and jujitsu, trained under world champions like Roberto Cyborg Abreu and former Pride and UFC champions, etc. He's also got a really interesting story about being through hell and back. He had an abusive childhood, his mother died, his brother was kidnapped and murdered, and his sister, I, I'll let him tell you the story. This is an emotional one. We talk a lot about, of course, his past just to see where he came from, and also how you can overcome any adversity and take charge of your life so you can end up on a path that makes you happy and fulfilled. I wanna talk, of course, with him on, on all of these mindsets and nutrition, exercise, martial arts, stress, and hormones, how they affect who we are and how we feel, but mostly we're gonna focus on mindsets of resilience. We talk about internal versus external control, realizing your own fortunes and opportunities, among other things, and why it's important to have and value something bigger than yourself. We also talk about stress inoculation and how we can apply this in our own lives to manage our own stresses, as well as developing mindsets as tools for success. We're gonna to top it all off with a fashion tip from Aaron Marino, and you can find more from Ted Rice at alphamanproject.com. Here we go. What's up, Jordan? Hey, what's up, how are you? Good. Look at you standing here in your Under Armour sleeveless top on your Skype photo. Yeah, well, you know, you gotta put it out there, right? Yeah, I guess so. I'm getting old, man, I don't know. I don't have those kind of guns anymore. Dude. How old are you? 34. I'm, I'm not, 37. I feel like such an a-hole. I'm not really into the bodybuilding thing as much anymore, and I'm not saying you look like a bodybuilder or bulky or anything. Good, because I'm not. You're not. You're just fit. I can see that. You'd have a no, really... I'm an athlete, and yeah. I train like one. I'm not like super shredded, and I flex my abs in the mirror and paint myself orange and put on a bikini sometimes and pose i don't do that shit you know so you train to perform well not to look good in the mirror or for on stage etc if i said that i don't train to look good i would be fucking lying through my teeth i mean i do want to look good but 
I can't bring myself to like do what bodybuilders do. You mean steroids? Yeah, that's part of it. But also like bodybuilders are not typically great athletes. And part of it is that they train like four or five days a week and they do these body part splits where they're like doing arms for an entire workout. (laughs) I used to do stuff like that, but I haven't done that in a long time. I'm a martial artist. I used to compete. It really straightened my ass out. It was like my rite of passage in many ways into manhood and not being such a pussy. It gave me the confidence to go on and do a lot of things. I competed in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I ended up teaching Brazilian jiu-jitsu for a couple of years. Even though I'm not competing and I'm not even training that much, I'm always like, I always have to be ready. That's what I base my training around. I, I read the Wikipedia article, and we'll get into this in, in a second, but, oh, God, I, I feel bad saying this, but you've heard it before, so I guess I it's just in my head. I'll let you tell the story because I don't want to, honestly, for me, it's it's awful. And, and it's part of what you've been through, which, I mean, you overcame these personal tragedies through health, fitness, personal development. What happened when you were 19? Let's just start from the beginning. Where you are and how far it is from where you came from. Yeah, well, 19. I'll start a little bit back before that. Okay. I I was starting to get my act together when I was 19. My mom died when I was 14 in a car accident. She was mentally ill and they never figured out what was wrong with her. Some people said she was schizophrenic. Some people said she was manic depressive. She abused me when I was like three years old, right after my sister was born, caused a lot of problems in her brain. Like a lot of women will have these hormonal fluctuations and it really just brought something out in her and she had a bad past as well. So I've had a really fucked up life for a really long time. You know, after she died, it really sent me down uh, a really tough path in high school and I was very lost in high school and uh, got into a lot of trouble, uh, drank a lot, you know, experimented with drugs, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That was my high school. Most people would say that's awesome, but in your case, it was because you were sad. You know, I was probably more angry and confused, probably more angry than sad, but the sad sadness was definitely in there. To get to where I was 19, I really started pulling my life together. I hated high school. I was a total rebel. I walked out of classes. I was like really like a fuck you, I do what I want. You know, I was like, you know, Cartman, I think Cartman said that in like a South Park episode. You know, I ran away from home. I stole my parents' car. I ran away from home. I was really lost after my mom died. I I had a lot of mixed emotions about it. I started pulling my life together and I got into college and I really enjoyed the experience. I got to pick classes and go to them when I wanted. And I just was really having a good time. And the first time ever I was making good grades because I actually ended up in a special classes before because I was so bad. What was your dad doing at this time? I mean, his wife just died. You were being a little shit. He saw her abuse me and she was very crazy with him. So that was not Although I came out of it and my sister came out of it because I've asked him, I have a good relationship with my dad in spite of what happened in the past. He, he was working hard. He was a very hardworking dad. He wasn't around a lot. He was an attorney at the time 
and he was working his ass off, had his own business, and he was very successful at it. And, uh, you know, he was trying to provide for us, and he did. He did a great job. I was really a damaged kid. I needed more. I started doing college when I was 18, and the summer after I graduated from high school, I got A's in my class. I had never really done that before. It's like, oh, I can do this. And when I turned 19, I guess the very next year, I was actually skipping class just like my old high school self. I was skipping class because my parents were out of town and I was going to meet my friend who was babysitting my nine-year-old brother. I got there. It turned out he was missing. And I really didn't think much about it at first. I called my parents. I was like, nah, he's probably just over at our friend's house because we had friends in the neighborhood. I was friends with the older brother and my little brother was friends with their little brothers. You know, I was like, nah, I don't worry about it. But my parents really had a bad feeling about it when I called them and let them know. Jim had a piano lesson and he missed it. And it was very unusual for him because he was like the really on point kid, always on time to things, uh, right. like polar opposite of me. Well, the cops came over. My parents came back from vacation and my friend was there who was babysitting him. Nobody could figure it out. And it turned into a three month search and we search everywhere for him. We had the FBI when there was a missing kid, the FBI showed up. My parents were getting on, on the media and really pushing to get people to help. And people did, they came and helped us and the FBI showed up and the FBI, this was at a time I can't remember the incident, but I remember watching on TV, some woman had killed her kids. She blamed it on some black dude and right. it turned out to be her. Yeah. I forget the case, but it really shocked the nation and everybody felt like an ass for being played by her. And so the FBI, they just started looking into the family right away. You know, I was interrogated numerous times. So I was so distraught. I couldn't, I didn't know what happened to my brother. I didn't know what the hell was going on. And I had FBI agents put me in a room and they were put me in a very specific formation where they were looking at each other or facing each other, but I was in the middle and I was like, it was just weird, man. And they were asking me questions and they were trying to look inside the family and see who, who could be a suspect and was maybe responsible for my brother's disappearance. And they would ask me questions like, Oh, did you ever hit your brother? And it's like, well, yeah, he's my fucking brother. Of course I hit. I, I beat him up, man. What, yeah. you would, what you wouldn't give to be able to beat up your brother, you know, at that point, right? A little bit, knock him around a little bit. You probably yeah. missed him a lot at that point. Yeah. I right? mean, I'd put on boxing gloves and I'd be like, boom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. The wrestling but, game. I mean, yeah. it must be really fun to have a little brother and at that age. I was like, yeah, it was fun. And he looked up to me and, and I, I loved him. I ended up taking two lie detector tests, doing all these interrogations and, uh, you know, it was just really hard. And man, I really wanted to help find them. And I would call up the FBI, gave me their card. They're like, if you remember anything, call us. If there's, you know, a clue or you think someone, you remember something, they said it in the way that like, if you remembered someone else did something like, or, or someone suspicious, I would call them up. They were like, where are you right now? Me, I was over at my buddy's house. We were 
taking bong hits and watching TV and just talking and, you know, trying to wrap our heads around it. And I'm trying to tell them something. I'm like, listen, I think I remembered because there's some weird guys in our neighborhood, weird people in the neighborhood. And I, I was like, I think I remember someone. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Where are you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. OK. Yeah. I'll write it down. OK. Um, you stay right there. OK. And I was like, OK. And they're like, we're, we're going to come right over. I don't even remember if they asked me. They would just show up. I don't want to say they tortured us, but they showed up at my house at 3 a.m. in the morning and they were searching all through my stuff and searching my car and they were just kept searching and it's like, fuck, you know, and they never found anything and they finally backed off and disappeared and then the homicide department took over who was much nicer and uh, although they put me through a lie detector test and um, everything, but what happened? It just no leads were coming up, right? They were doing that stuff to us, to me and my buddy, because we were suspiciously there when Jimmy disappeared. It's like, yeah, I wanted to come down and hang out with my friend and get into some tomfoolery, you yeah, know, and hang that, out and do this dumb shit that we've been doing our whole lives because this was a, a friend I grew up with. That must have really messed you up a little bit to be like, oh, they're here to help, and then it was like, no, you're the prime suspect, you're the prime suspect. Oh, they're finally done, and then you're like, oh, by the way, I'm trying to help, and they're like, oh, maybe he's ready to confess all of a sudden to this thing that you didn't do. The homicide department, they got it a little bit more. The FBI were like cold-blooded, man. They did what they thought was right, and they ended up not finding out anything, and actually nothing was turning up until one day a woman who lived in our neighborhood had a farmhand working for her and she was missing some jewelry and she was missing a handgun. This guy lived in a trailer on her property. She said, wow, I wonder if this guy has my stuff. She went into the trailer and she didn't find her jewelry. She didn't find the gun, but what she did find is what changed everything. And she found my little brother's book bag. But even crazier than that is the book bag had one of the missing children's posters that we've been putting up everywhere. These guys are crazy. And he had like a trophy. So anyway, she called the police. They came and got him. And they interrogated the hell out of him. And he started saying all this weird stuff. Like he led them on goose chases. He said at first that he hit my brother with his car and then he dumped the body in a canal and the police sent out divers to go check the canal. I mean, he said a few different things and they followed up on his leads, you know, using tax dollars and their time. And, and he even tried to blame it on someone else. Like, oh, well, no, it's, this other guy who is responsible for, uh, you know, the missing kid. And then eventually he broke down and told them what happened. But what happened was that my brother was dropped off at his bus stop down the street from my house, pulled up. He said, come with me or I'm going to shoot you. He pulled out his gun. He was driving a pickup truck and my brother, unfortunately, Instead of running or fighting or doing whatever, he was afraid and he went with the guy. The guy 
the way I understand the story, because obviously I wasn't there, but he grabbed my brother so quickly and threw him to the bottom of the truck and just took off. And he took him to a trailer, again, probably not a mile from where I live. He raped him and he played psychological games with him. What I mean by that is my brother asked him, are you going to kill me? And he said, what do you think? After being raped, after being tortured, my brother still found the strength to try to get away and try to make a run for it because he had heard a helicopter overhead. He knew they were, we were looking for him. As he made a run for it, Juan Carlos Chavez, that's a guy's name, pulled out a gun and shot my brother in the back. It ended up piercing his heart. My brother fell to the ground. And then he walked up to him to hear my brother's dying last breath. After that, to dispose of the body, cut my brother's arms off, and he decapitated him. He put him into three different flower pots, filled them up with cement, and probably hoped that nobody would ever figure out what happened to this little kid. He's just gone, right? Gone from the face of the earth. If it weren't for that woman who found the book bad and, and called the police, we may have never figured out what happened to him. But thank God we did because honestly, I'd rather know than not know. That not knowing, we know people who don't know what happened. We ended up meeting other people who had been through similar things. They don't know what happened to their kid. They just have speculation and probably some hope. But we know. The story I told you, why I'm able to tell it in such detail, even though I wasn't there, is due to his confession. He confessed to doing all of that. That was 19 years ago. It's been quite an experience afterward. You know, I, I had mentioned some things I've been through before, but that really changed what I thought about life, what I thought about a lot of things. And, uh, you know, I felt like a freak. If you say that, oh, yeah, my, my parents abused me or, you know, mommy didn't, hold, you know, hug me enough or, you know, dad didn't buy my car. He, he gave me a piece of crap car. All that stuff that it's kind of common and I don't want to diminish it, guys. If any of you have been through that, I hate to say a little bit more normal, but it's more common. And I have been through some of that, but I felt like a freak afterward. This story that I'm telling it also made national news. It was all over the news. My parents went and both of my parents were attorneys, my dad and my stepmother. And uh, they met with two presidents, President Clinton, George W. Bush, the one that's not good on camera. Right, I forget yeah. which one that is. Yeah, George so W. Bush. They met with both of them and they got laws passed, including that we can now put missing children's posters in federal buildings where as before you couldn't and also they got the law passed that now if a sexual predator is going to be released because he's quote unquote paid his dues to society we can now detain him until the people who are overseeing his either his sentence or or his uh 
treatment, whatever, until they deem he's ready to leave and know that he's not going to commit another crime, they keep them. And that may sound really messed up, like a violation of rights. But listen to this. We've had people say, we know of instances where these guys have said, listen, I'm going to get out soon. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to kill a kid or I'm going to rape a kid. And the people, people actually called my parents up and said, listen, we got this guy. He's said he's going to do it again, but we have to let, let him out. We have to. It's the law. And so my parents felt that they owed it to everyone who helped us search for my brother to make a change. And they ended up passing it through. The Jimmy Rice Act passed here in Florida. It's been a model for other states to start pushing legislation through because these guys aren't like normal guys, right? They're sick. So my family has fought to, to make that happen. More recently, 19 years later, this year, 2014, in February, my father and I, who are the only remaining members of my family, uh, my stepmother ended up dying from a heart attack and my sister committed suicide about a, a year and a half ago. So we went to his execution and sat in the front row and watched it go down. And uh, How did that feel after all that time? I mean, you must have hated this guy more than anything. I mean, just an un words would not do justice, I would assume, to what you felt for this person. That's what you would think. It was a little more complicated than that. When I saw him for the first time, because I didn't go to the trial, that's when I really started losing it in my life. And really, I dropped out of school and went through years of trying to find myself. And I ended up getting into the fitness industry when I was 22. But I, when I saw him, I didn't see a monster. You know, I saw a coward. I saw someone who is mentally ill. I saw just barely – he wasn't like Bane and Batman. He wasn't like some master villain. He was a pathetic person. He, he looked – I don't really know him well enough. So I can't really say too much other than what he did. Like it's weird, Jordan. I mean I was glad he was gone. But he looked so pathetic. It was hard to hate a human being that looked the way he did. Right. You know, he's yeah. been in prison for 19 years and – the fact of the matter is my father and I wanted him dead and we got that. We, we believe in the death penalty. I believe in the death penalty and I believe in people's rights, of course. And I think there's a lot of issues with the death penalty. But when it's a case like this, we wanted him gone and he's gone now. And I hesitate to, to use the word happy but I feel like justice was served is probably the best way to put it. All right, back to the show. I'm not shy anymore about that. I got up and told about 20 or 30 news people with cameras and all dressed up in their ties with their pocket squares and their mics in their hand after the execution happened where they executed 
my brother's killer, I basically said, listen, anybody who said that this shouldn't happen is weak. Oh, so, man. Um, you know, because there was a stay of execution filed and they uh, they tried to stop it. And, um, you know, I, I have very strong feelings about the death penalty and I, it should be imposed in a very careful manner. But this guy was just guilty to the core. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, now turning the corner completely because I, I the audience is just right now, they're like, why are you doing this to us, Jordan and Ted? You know, there's people crying in the gym right now in the treadmill. Um, I've, I'm lucky that you talked for as long as you did because I, I had to recover there. Honestly, that I mean, it's so horrible what happened in every instance. But now, how come you're not a depressed mess that just sits around and watches TV all day? And, you know, how, how come you are so successful? Tell us what you're doing now. Well, I tried that, Jordan. It didn't work too well, buddy. So, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And guys, you're right, Jordan. I am not a depressed person. I'm a very happy person. If, you if know? anyone has an excuse to be a useless piece of shit, it would probably be you at this point. Again, I don't want to diminish any what anybody else has been through because there are people who have been through worse than what I've been through. Right. And I think that's an important point. If you are going through something, whether your girlfriend broke up with you and you're just destroyed. By the way, I've been through that, too, man. Be going through that other stuff did not save me from the heartache of getting broken up with, you know, when I was 22. How did I get past it? And I think there's a few things. What I identify as is I I really identify myself as a warrior. Yes. You You have a mindset of of the utmost resilience or we wouldn't be having this conversation because you'd probably – be dead or sick or locked in a basement watching TV all day. And, uh, you know, if that was Game of Thrones, that might not be a terrible thing. You know, I think part of it was I got into working out and I got into martial arts pretty early. So those are two things that really helped me. Although I lost it completely, I stopped working out. I really stopped eating for a while. Not right after we found out what happened to my brother, but a year later when the trial was going on, I had just become so emaciated and, uh, you know, even and pale. And some people were like, man, are you, are you eating? Are you okay? And the answer was no, I wasn't okay. Of course. But, uh, but I had still gotten into that. I, I looked up to Arnold Schwarzenegger. I looked up to Bruce Lee and I had gotten into martial arts. I had gotten into, to lifting weights and eventually you know, all that went down when I was 19 and I said I was lost for a few years. I pulled it together uh, because my life was so sucked so bad. I hit bottom so hard and it hurt so bad. I was like, I have to do something, right? Um, I think a lot of times the people who have something really bad happen are the ones who are like, whoa, this sucks. My life sucks. I feel terrible. I'm desperate to do something and I got desperate to do something and I ended up trying to pull myself together because I dropped out of college. I worked in a job that I I was in uh, Gainesville, Florida, and then I came back to Miami Beach, Florida. That's where my parents were living at the time. I had to do something. I ended up getting a job that I hated. I ended up working in a luxury building half the time in a beautiful luxury building on a place in Miami beach called millionaires row. 
And then the other half of the time, I was working in Overtown, uh, managing a building there. And Overtown, if you're not familiar with the place or with Miami, it's the type of place where if you've ever heard about a tourist gone missing and got robbed or shot, killed, whatever, it's in a place like Overtown. Like a divey crab hole in the middle of a tourist area? It's a ghetto and, uh, you know, I have nothing against people who are down and out, but that's what it is. You know, people are smoking crack and doing all crazy stuff. And, you know, I, I worked in this place and I hated my job, although I tried to help people out in that area because I'm just a very helping. You, you are. I, I, I mean, just for the audience purposes, you've you and I have spoken before. You're one of the nicest people I've met in a long time and just giving and caring. And it's actually amazing because it would be above average by far if you had had a normal upbringing and life. And it's even more amazing given the history of what has happened to you and around you. Yeah, well, well thanks, man. You're but welcome. part of it is helping other people makes you feel good. And I don't get that wrong. You selfish I'm not like- bastard. That's the only reason you do it. <laughs> you know what? I... You know what it is, is I know what pain feels like very acutely. So when I see other people in pain, I have empathy. I don't have a lot of sympathy for people, Jordan, but I do have empathy. And if I can help people out and if it makes sense and if there are someone who's really going to do something and make their life better, they're not just going to take my help and just say, okay, well, I'm still messed up. So give me, you know, I, I like to help people. I and that's why I love what you do with your show. And that's why I do what I do with my show. You know, we're, we're about helping people. And uh, I would be lying that if there wasn't something self-serving in it, because you feel better when you help people and you start coming from this abundance mindset. And it all comes down to that mindset, you know, having a mindset that, you know, I'm going to push through anything. I'm going to be a person who helps other people. I'm going to not let my external events dictate what happens to me inside. What I can still control that. I can't control what happens outside of me, but I can control what happens inside. So wait a second. So what are these principles? Because these are essentially principles of resilience. First thing, someone had asked me, like, do you ever ask yourself, why you? And I'm like, no. Why? Because I can read the news. I know that what I went through is horrible, but people all over the world, especially in other countries, are going through horrible things. Look at what happened in Africa, in Rwanda, what happened in uh, Kosovo. I mean, there's all these instances, recent instances of horrible shit going down in our world. I'm just part of that, you know, like that's what happened to my brother. It's just part of this thing called humanity that's been going on. And there's a lot of great stuff about being human, a lot of great stuff happening in the world that humans have created. And then there's the dark side. And I know that there's people out there who have gone through even the same thing that I've been through because I've met them. So understanding that you're not alone in your suffering, we will all suffer in one way or another. You will lose your parents You will lose someone you love. You'll lose something you love. We will all suffer. And that's okay. It's part of life. Hopefully it's not as bad as what I went through. Hopefully it's not as bad as what 
some of the other people go through in less fortunate parts of the world. And two would probably be you are pretty fucking fortunate to be where you are. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably in a part of the world where you have good internet. Right, and, and something to play it on. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you are fortunate and you're living in a time where there's just endless opportunity. And I can be talking to Jordan and Jordan, you're in LA and I'm in Miami Beach and we're having this conversation and we're going to affect thousands, tens of thousands, however many people listen to this are going to be affected by it. You know, so, so also be a part of something bigger, right? That's part of what being a warrior is, you know, that's, I'm not a soldier. I don't, I'm not going to pull a Kanye where I say like, <laughs> yeah, man, sometimes I feel like I know what it's like to be an Iraq. I'm not going to pull one of those, but I do resonate with the stories of what they've been through. And, uh, you know, I felt like I fought, I've had to fight to make my life the way it is to get past my pain to get past what has happened in my life. And part of that is having something bigger than yourself, having something that you're fighting for, a belief, something that you're maybe even willing to die for. And just you're knowing your values and valuing something higher than yourself. Like, oh, I just, I'm all about me. That's kind of a low level to play this game of life. Yeah, right. sure, sure. I believe also in working on your body, physical fitness. Yeah, this is your this is your bag and what you talk about on your show, which is the alphamanproject.com, things like that. This is you're a badass trainer and that's how we originally connected. Yeah, I mean, yeah, thanks. And I, I'm passionate about what I do and I've trained a bunch of celebrities and stuff and you know, like Richard Branson and Robert Downey Jr had the privilege to meet them but you know I'm I'm a regular dude too you know I'm uh, and but I'm really passionate about the the ability to challenge your body to stress your body in a way to actually make you stronger and I don't want to geek out on stress physiology and hormones and stuff but it affects your brain chemistry and it affects your hormonal levels. You guys have probably heard of testosterone and growth hormone and maybe cortisol, which is your stress hormone. Stress is an interesting thing because testosterone levels, anabolic hormones, catabolic hormones, etc., are all really affected by stress. In other words, if you're really stressed out, your body has a hard time building muscle and recovering and you know your sleep is off and your sex drive is off and cortisol is in there screwing you up. It's really a disaster. Absolutely. And uh, thanks for saying that I'm qualified. There are a lot more uh, knowledgeable people out there like Robert Sapolsky, who is a neurobiologist who, who studies this stuff and who I've learned a lot from other people in the fitness industry. But I did, I studied biology and yeah, I <laughs> have well, lived it. Yeah, you've lived it. You've, you've seen stress firsthand more so than most people I know. Yeah, and uh, you can positively affect hormonal physiology through exercise, through nutrition, through sleep, through stress management. Some things that I've done to jack up my testosterone levels naturally are doing things like lifting heavy weights. Now back to the good stuff. 
you know, you've studied a lot of martial arts and they give you a lot of mindset in martial arts, but you've been in positions where you can implement a lot of this stuff because when you started studying this, I mean, you literally were, I'm assuming, likely doing this because you knew you had to get back on track or you were going to die from your just your emotional situation. Yeah. And man, I was young. I, I wanted a good life. I wanted to meet girls. I wanted to go out and have a good time. And yeah, absolutely. I started getting it together and I started learning some really cool stuff when I was 21. By the time I was 22, I was, I was in Miami Beach working as a personal trainer. Actually, I was working, cleaning up equipment, wiping up sweat and putting back weights and they weren't even going to let me train people for two years. But I was so happy to be in that situation, so happy to be away from what happened with my brother, away from that crappy job I told you I had. And just in a situation where I felt, wow, I'm around all these hot women in the gym. There's these cool guys who I'm meeting. I'm getting to work out in between like wiping up stuff and putting back weights. And I just started grabbing people and training them and showing them some of the stuff I learned. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how my whole fitness career got started. But yeah, absolutely. And, and Jordan, like we talked about before, I'm not a bodybuilder. I got bodybuilder friends. They're great at that and cutting down and all that. I'm very much a martial artist who trains for uh, life for to, to keep myself healthy and strong. That's what exercise is to me. It's a tool so that I can maintain my strength, so I can so I can prepare my body for stress, the stress of life or the stress of competing in martial arts. Um, I have a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, I've studied with a few different people, but I study under uh, Roberto Cyborg Abreu, who's the number one guy in the world right now. Uh, he just won Abu Dhabi. If any of you guys out there are into grappling, and uh, you know that that's the Olympics. And he's like one of the coolest people ever. Anyway, I competed in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I did pretty well. To go back to what we were saying, all these things kind of help you get past to get over the stress, you kind of have to stress yourself. And that's something you see in military training. That's interesting. Explain that. I've never actually heard that, but it's totally spot on. Yeah. You know, stress inoculation. Obviously, if you're completely beaten down, you need to take your time to recover and you need to focus on nutrition and getting your sleep right. But you have to do some types of exercise. Just a real quick pointer, you know, things like lifting heavy weights, martial arts, circuit training, CrossFit, those are all activities that, yeah, they release testosterone and growth hormone, but they also release adrenaline and cortisol, something that's really stressed your system. And you can't recover from that and get stronger. But if you are really wiped the fuck out because you went something like maybe something like what I went through or you're going through a really hard time, you want to stick with aerobic exercise you want to stick with something like yoga. Even if you think yoga is for pansies, guys, do it anyway. I do yoga. Yoga is so hard. It's it's so hard for me. I'm stiff <laughs> as a board. Stretching a yoga is, is me. It's like trying to stretch a pine plank. I'd rather run you know, a half marathon than do two hours of yoga. It's really hard for me. So, Well, the good news is you don't have to do yoga. It's not the yoga. And to geek out for a second, you have something called your 
autonomic nervous system. And there's two sides to that. There's your sympathetic side and your parasympathetic side. And guys, those are just $10 words for your fight or flight response or your rest and digest response, right? So fight or flight, anything that stresses you, like lifting heavy weights, doing martial arts, fight or flight. Anything that kind of calms your nervous system down. And this isn't just something I'm throwing out there. We have evidence, you know, deep breathing in yoga is probably what's response in the light isometric exercises was responsible for decreasing that fight or flight activity and putting you into the rest and digest mode, right? And aerobic exercise will do that as well, provided you don't do it like, you know, marathon style, right? If you're doing 20, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, of aerobic exercise that will help decrease that sympathetic response, increase the parasympathetic response and meditation does that acupuncture. There's some evidence that acupuncture does that, uh, you know, also getting the right nutrients. Magnesium is huge for combating the stress response. It helps clear your, uh, stress hormones, your catecholamines, adrenaline out of your system so it can help calm you down by knowing what to do with your physiology that's one part if you need to heal but the other part the stress inoculation that's what the military does they don't throw you into combat right <laughs> right they're like here's how you shoot a gun oh how many pull-ups can you do cool you can do a bunch of push-ups okay we're sending you into combat no they slowly ramp up this types of stress they push you through from boot camp and if you go into the special forces, you'll see the Green Berets and Navy SEALs doing what they do and you slowly start to ramp up your ability to handle stress. And even if you're not into the military stuff, Jordan, you interviewed Stephen Kotler and Stephen Kotler in The Rise of Superman, what that's all about is pushing yourself into flow. But to do that, you need to Push yourself outside your comfort zone. So maybe you guys listening, you're not into, you know, doing any of that, doing a tactical firearms training class or doing martial arts. Like that's the type of stuff I'm into. Um, maybe it's public speaking. Maybe it's going and talking to girls. But if you put yourself in a stressful response, provided that it's not over the top, because if it's over the top, you're just like, uh, 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 you right, get you crushed. Freak out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's no growth from that. It's just like, you know, it's like trying to bench press 500 pounds when you've only done two, you know? Yeah. And uh, so it has to be appropriate. You have to challenge yourself, but it has to be appropriate. And Steven's done all this research and it changes your brain chemistry. You know, it makes you more confident we all know this stuff, but he's given some of the physiological reasons why you should push yourself outside your comfort zone. But you can slowly ramp up the challenge in your life. And that's key to getting over whatever it is you need to get over, the resiliency or building resiliency. Like, Jordan, let me ask you a question. Uh, you know, we've talked before. You said you were kind of an introverted dude. I mean, were you this good at interviewing people? Of course not. Yeah, were you this comfortable? No. Yeah, man. I mean, we all ramp up the stress in our life, and now you're like a pro at it. There's many different ways of doing that, but finding those challenges and consistently challenging yourself is huge for building yourself into a new person, the person who is more resilient, who can overcome whatever it is. 
that is going on in your life. Of course, I used to take martial arts. I love some of the mindsets I got from there were excellent. Flexibility and approach uh, to any situation is key in any martial art. You know, having the idea that you're mastering your own emotions, that's really key. I mean, have you used some of that? Have you developed, of course, the killer instinct and the competitive instinct as well? Have you learned to apply some of these things where you're sort of, you know, facing your own death and mastering your emotions and being flexible? Has that helped you overcome the tragedy that you've overcome? And do you apply that stuff in business as well? Absolutely, man. You know, the flexibility. I got pretty good at jujitsu and I did pretty well. And I was never the guy who just would be like, I'm going to get this guy in an arm lock from the top on his left arm and I'm going to go for it. You know, you have to roll with the punches and literally, yeah, literally something that Bruce Lee said, don't be a rock and crash on things, right? Be water, be able to flow around whatever is obstructing you. Be flexible. If you're in a situation where you're just rock against rock and maybe you're up against a bigger rock and maybe that's in a competition, like in a jujitsu competition, martial arts competition, maybe that's in your business. Maybe that's just an obstacle in your personal life. You need to flow, be able to flow around it. And another thing that you had mentioned is uh, mastering your emotions. Absolutely. I mean, you know what's funny, Jordan, is I, I said this uh, a couple of times and people are like, well, what, you know, what do you mean master your emotion? You mean never feel emotion? That's not good. It's like, no, we all feel emotions. You will never not feel emotions. The key is that you appreciate it as what it is, a part of the human experience, but you don't let it dictate what you do. You don't let it dictate what you do. You feel the anger, the sadness, the whatever, and you keep going. And that's huge. Just respecting that our bodies are made a certain way. Emotions are there for an evolutionary reason. They're there. And knowing that they come and, you know, we all do this. We've all probably experienced maybe road rage or we've experienced, you know, nervousness in an interview. But for a job interview, we all pull it together. You know, if you get out of your car, bash that dude's head in, you're going to jail. So you can we all control it. It's so easy to do it when like, well, if I get out and, you know, bust this guy's head open, I'm going to go to jail. Uh, I can't pay my rent. Uh, I'm uh, maybe get fired for work. It's easy. It's in the little things that we need to do that all the time. You know, we need to apply that in every situation. And of course, nobody's perfect. We all lose it. Sometimes it's okay. You just, you work towards that. Yeah. You know, I talk a lot about building the ultimate man. Well, there's probably no such thing. It's just, setting an ideal and constantly working for it. And that's what it's about, that journey. And then the last thing is, yeah, the killer instinct. That goes two ways. And one is knowing that if it comes down to it, you can take another man's life. Yeah. Knowing that you will stand up and fight to the death to protect yourself, to protect your family, That is huge. And I think I don't want to impose that on other guys, but it's something that's worked for me. And I think it's something that we need to embrace as men because we're very fortunate in this Western society, right? We don't have that situation coming up a lot. 
But in other societies, in our society many years ago, knowing how to fight, being able to defend yourself was not it was obligatory. Not not optional, yeah. It was exactly. not optional, exactly. If you didn't know how to do it, you're going to do a duel and get your yeah, you're going to get skewered in a duel or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah, or even before, you know, I just watched the Vikings. You know, the Vikings came and kicked the shit out of everybody and took their stuff. Not only did they kick the shit out of everybody, they killed most of the people. And it's like you have to understand that if violence is a tool for mostly men, right? Women use it too, but more of a defensive way. Violence is a tool for men to get what they want, right? And it's like, oh, I like what you have, but let's see. I'm not willing to work for it. Uh, Yeah, I don't want to go through all that building a business. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull out my gun, put it to your head, and I'm going to take your stuff because I'm willing to do that and you're too much of a pussy to stop me. So I never want to be that person who's unwilling to do that. Okay. I'm not talking, Hey, take the gun away from the guy unless you know what you're doing and you make that choice for, from a place of knowledge and experience. But what I am saying is this psychologically, you're ready to go there if you need to. And I live in Miami beach. Uh, I've had to deter certain situations where it could have gotten ugly. Not even for me, the woman I was with pulled out some money And this dude just started getting really weird body language. I had to address him. And uh, he looked me in the eye. I looked him in the eye. I I asked him if he was okay. I said in a really aggressive manner, the subcommunication. Right. Like, if you're not okay, I'm happy to pound you into the pavement and then run away. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) He apologized to me and walked off. Oh, wow. A lot of this stuff is just deterring bad situations from happening because victims... Like my brother, to bring it back to that, was a victim before he was victimized. So I really believe in that. And I was also bullied in school. But And another thing is, even if I was there for my brother, I don't know if I could have done what I needed to do to protect him. I was 19, and he was a 28-year-old man. So I never wanted to feel powerless in that way. And absolutely, that's the personal side of it. But the general side I just mentioned, I think everybody should be able to go there if they need to. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's definitely an emotional one. I think it touches a lot of people. To be honest, I mean, thank you for being so candid with everything and and showing us how this has affected you and how we can use these mindsets that you've gleaned through tragedy to improve in our everyday lives and see what we have that works for us and apply these things as tools. Yeah, absolutely, Jordan. I mean, that's what it's all about. Learning how to overcome whatever you've been through, learning how to improve your life, starting to be that man who doesn't let external circumstances, however big or however small, dictate how your life is going to be. So take charge, guys. Do all those things that I suggested or find out what works for you. And go make it happen for yourselves because nothing can stop you. Thanks so much, Ted. Absolutely, Jordan. I had a great time, man. Yikes. Okay, guys. Sorry. I hope that didn't ambush you. I know a lot of guys were probably crying on treadmills and uh, in cars around the world listening to that one. That one was tough. But we did end on the happy note and talk about how you can overcome all these adversities and take charge of your life. 
so that you end up on the path that makes you feeling happy, fulfilled, exercise, nutrition, martial arts, stress, and all these things that we can wrap into and use as tools, especially the mindsets for use as tools, especially those of resilience, internal and external control, realizing our own fortunes and opportunities, and why it's important to have and value something bigger than yourself. I hope you enjoyed this one. More from Ted at alphamanproject.com, and let's wrap it with a fashion tip from Aaron Marino. All right, due to popular demand, we got fashion tips from my man Aaron Marino from imalpham.com. He's gonna be dropping some knowledge on us to learn how to dress our best. All right, so recently, you know, I don't wear a lot of suits, but somebody gave me a tie pocket square set that matches, and I just, I can't get over it. I feel like it looks really cheesy. Dude, it does look cheesy. Nothing says style novice like a dude wearing a tie pocket square combo. <laughs> it's crazy. And does that mean no tie and pocket square, or does that mean that they just shouldn't be like, hey, I've got the, what is it, like the peacock feather pattern on yellow tie yeah, and yeah. the peacock feather <laughs> pattern on a pocket square combo. Look at me, I match. Exactly. It's all about coordinating. You don't want to be too matchy-matchy. And when you wear the exact same fabric pattern, tie, pocket square, it totally just, I'm talking like red flag, like total style novice. Um, you want it to coordinate it. You, you, you can wear the tie, you can wear the pocket square, just don't wear them in the same outfit. Okay, why why is it just it's just too much at once and it's like too it looks kind of like a uniform to me. It almost you know what it feels like you're wearing that because you're the maitre d' at a restaurant and those are the colors and, of the restaurant. And that's it. That's what it looks like. You know, as as style and fashion forward guys, you know, we want to express ourselves. We want to coordinate. We want to, you know, add those cool accessories. But when they come as a set, that's really the, the manufacturer just saying, hey, guys don't know what they're doing, so we're just going to give it to them. We're going to give both of them to them. Right. We're going to um, charge $10 more for this combo and people will buy it. Exactly. And they do. And so you're going to see guys wearing it, but that doesn't mean that it's acceptable. It's totally not. Totally stay away from it. You can do much better than that. Excellent. For more from Aaron Marino, search for Alpha M on YouTube or go to imalphaM.com. Solid show as usual, if I do say so myself. Show feedback and guest suggestions. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know at jordanh at theartofcharm.com. Bootcamp details, that's our live training at theartofcharm.com. And that's also where you can find links to us on Twitter, Facebook, and other social media. If you're listening to this but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, then that needs to change. Getting our shows delivered free to your phone or computer is the best way to make sure you don't miss anything. You can do that by going to iTunes and searching for The Art of Charm podcast or by going to theartofcharm.com slash iTunes and clicking subscribe. That's it. You guys can also help us if you subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher, give us a five-star rating and write something nice. We'll love you forever. Just go to iTunes.com slash The Art of Charm and it'll take you right there. When you write us a review, it not only makes us feel proud, but it helps keep us in the ranks so that other people who can use this information can find the show more easily and get the credible advice that they need. It's also the best way to support the show other than purchasing training from us. So tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week, go out there and get social, and leave everything better than you found it. 
Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com.